You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Return of the Jedi, which came out in 1983. It was directed by Richard Marquand. It stars Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, Billy D. Williams, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, Sebastian Shaw, Ian McDermott, Frank Oz, David Prowse, Alec Guinness, Kenny Baker, and James Earl Jones. The genre would be space opera. Force is strong in my family. Father has. I have it. You have that power too. The Emperor's made a critical error, and the time for our attack has come. Welcome, Yanskite. Expecting <laughs> your skills are complete. My six-year-old son had been asking to watch a Star Wars movie for a while now. He'd already been playing with hand-me-down toys, with the Jabba's Palace stuff being his favorite, so it seemed like this was the right one to start with. And this was my favorite Star Wars movie as a kid. Vader's on that ship. Now, don't get jittery, Luke. There are a lot of command ships. <laughs> keep your distance, though, Chewie. But don't look like you're trying to keep your distance. <laughs> I don't know. Fly casual. Still pretty good. Of course, there's the Ewok stuff, which has been litigated to death at this point. And while I don't love much of it, I don't think it honestly sinks the movie. For me, the weakest part of this film is still what they do to two specific characters, which I'll get to in a bit. That said, when the film is focusing on Luke Skywalker, it generally works very well. It's rewarding to see Mark Hamill grow into this character from whiny farm boy to confident badass Jedi. His swagger is earned. And while I would have liked more scenes with the two of them interacting, the scenes of him going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Vader are still very engaging. The Emperor has been expecting you. I know, Father. So, you have accepted the truth. I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me. Also, Admiral Akbar. He remains such a bizarrely charismatic leader based on his design and voice. I don't know why, but I just could never get enough of him. And there's, of course, Ian McDermott, chewing the scenery as Emperor Palpatine. He's also a highlight. <laughs> Perhaps you referred to the imminent attack on your rebel fleet. Yes, I assure you, we are quite safe from your friends here. 
Your overconfidence is your weakness. Your faith in your friends is yours. I mean, man, is he having a ball with this character? And of course, there's the action. Pretty much every action set piece is still amazing. By 1983, and even today's standards, just watching all the engagements between every space vehicle in that final battle sequence, just swarms of TIE fighters coming head-on at the cockpit of the Falcon, it's very convincing. And I just can't fathom how they pulled that off with just models and rotoscoping back in 82. And finally, that speeder chase in the farce of Endor, which is beautifully filmed in Mere Woods, near Lucas's home. It's just a marvel of editing and sound design. Besides the underrated pod race sequence of Episode One. I don't think any set piece in a Star Wars movie since then has matched it for sheer energy. Over there! Toward them! I see them! Wait, Leia! Hey, wait! Quick, jam their conlink! Better switch! Now 40 years after its initial release, wow, it's been that long, (laughs) and despite some flaws, including the fact that it's a major step down from its predecessor, the eternally classic Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi still remains a very entertaining watch, and I would say a good gateway into all other things Star Wars. But most important of all, we've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of this Death Star. Many Bothans died And this brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. The legendary John Williams. He returned to score this film after scoring the previous two. And he did a very adept job of bringing back key themes from previous films while also introducing new ones. All around, for the whole trilogy, my personal favorite for this saga has always been the Imperial March, first introduced in the previous episode, Episode 5. It's reintroduced here, but with a new offshoot for a new level of evil, who we are able to finally meet in the flesh. And that would be Emperor Palpatine, with his own theme, which we first hear in this track, The Emperor Arrives. Of course, it's those aforementioned Ewoks which have always been the most controversial element of this film for many fans. And one point of contention seems to be the celebratory music that we hear at the very end of this movie, as we see our heroes celebrating their victory among many Ewoks on Endor. Now, in the original version of this movie, and the one I grew up hearing, this theme was mainly vocal, initially featuring what we perceive as a chorus of Ewoks. I believe this is now affectionately referred to as the Yubnub song. Now, me personally, honestly, I never really liked this song, even as a kid, sorry. 
It always just sounded too squishy and cutesy for what's supposed to be an epic conclusion for this saga. So yeah, I actually preferred the more orchestral version used at the end of the special edition, released in 97. And having seen both versions of this movie in theaters, I think the special edition version works a little bit better, though I can certainly understand a lot of people's affection for the Yub Nub song. And still, neither version would be my choice for best needle drop. And you want to know why? The Ewok chant. Yes, the one we hear as they are collectively praying roughly halfway through when they see C-3PO demonstrating magic. It's just a great moment overall, and probably the best one for the C-3PO character. But you want to know what else is so special about this chant? Well, 10 years later, it would actually be remastered as the intro for probably my favorite rock song of the 90s. Cannonball from the Breeders from their 1993 album Last Splash. Sorry, but it's just a great intro for a great song and will always remain a highlight of the legacy of this movie for me. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Okay, brace yourself, hardcore Star Wars fans, for what might yet be another controversial take. <laughs> I do like this film overall, and I think it's a great continuation of the overall story arc for Luke Skywalker. That said, I feel like it is a complete letdown for the character of Han Solo, and generally a waste for Harrison Ford as an actor. Look, now now bear with me here. My issue is that after two films of him being the most dynamic character, Solo is basically turned into a passive joke of a character in this movie. He's just not given much to do. And it's clear from Ford's performance that the actor clearly felt that way too. And beyond that, since this has clearly become Luke and Vader's story, the sad result is that most of the other major returning characters are less interesting as well. In fact, it's kind of amazing just how little Leia is given to do as a character as well, considering what we learned about her. I mean, why not give her the Bothan speech? The big reveal scene between her and Hamill roughly halfway through features what might be her worst acting in the history of the franchise. It's just bad. I mean, episode two level bad. Yeah. No. Luke, run away. Far away. If he can feel your presence, then leave this place. I wish I could go with you. No, you don't. You've always been strong. But why must you confront him? And then the follow-up scene immediately after that with her and Ford, where uh, Solo gets jealous. Yeah, neither of them fare particularly well. Come on, tell me, what's going on? I, I can't tell you. Could you tell Luke? Is that who you could tell? 
Am I saying that neither of them should have been in this movie? Of course not. But as written and performed, this is just a massive letdown from their exemplary work in Empire. I mean, they're on fire in that movie. Both characters lose much of their agency, and it also becomes obvious that both actors were just not into it at this point. So, wasted talent there, certainly. This brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. As great as several of the action sequences in this movie are, it's still a couple of emotional moments which rule the most from my standpoint. The first one has to be that iconic, oft-quoted moment featuring one of my favorite characters with his signature line. Yeah, you know the one. We're halfway through the movie as the rebel fighters led by Lando Calrissian have just arrived outside Endor from hyperspace. And, uh uh-oh, the shield for the Death Star is still up. The Empire's been expecting them. Oh no. It's just one of the great oh shit moments in the history of the franchise. And who else should punctuate it besides our favorite Mon Calamari military leader? Pull up! All crap, pull up! Take a base of action. Green group, step across the holding sector and each other. Admiral, we have enemy ships in sector 47. It's a trap! And the other emotional moment, it's a doozy. Fast forward to that climactic throne room sequence involving the Emperor, Darth Vader, and Luke. Luke has vanquished Vader, who's limping, missing a hand, and apparently wheezing. He has now proven himself to the Emperor, who now wants Luke to be his second in command. So he's now asking Luke to kiss his proverbial ring. Luke has defiantly refused, though, and he just tosses his saber to the ground, proclaiming himself to now be a full-on Jedi. So, as you would expect, the Emperor takes this well. Now, one thing that has bugged me just a bit in rewatches is that they never really do set up this lightning strike power of the Emperor's. It honestly comes a bit out of left field, as there's really nothing we have seen like it in the trilogy leading up to it. But no matter, though, because the visual effects behind this are still quite convincing, as is McDermott, just truly devouring the scenery by this point. And of course, Hamill's pained screams, selling it as well. But what really makes the sequence work is watching the subtle mannerisms from David Prowse playing Vader under that imposing black suit and helmet. It's just stark visual storytelling, which is what Lucas does best. Lesser talent could have easily fumbled such a critical moment, but we get the full package here as Vader then lifts up Palpatine and throws him down that shaft. The Empire has now been defeated, Anakin has finally redeemed himself, and our main hero has reconnected with his father. Honestly, I can still remember seeing this in theaters at the age of eight, along with the audience just going justifiably apeshit in response. Just a great moment. And this brings me to the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. 
Now, I was tempted to choose George Lucas here, as he wore several hats for this movie, including producer, co-editor, and co-writer of the screenplay with Lawrence Kasdan. But honestly, this just is not his best work on any of those fronts. While structurally the film is very sound and clear-cut, the dialogue remains a mixed bag, as are several characterizations. Mainly the two most disappointing ones, which I just cited. But also, I mean, if we're being honest, Lando Calrissian is watered down. And don't even ask me what they do to Boba Fett. Nope. Whenever I rewatch this movie, the aspect which grabs me the most is not only the emotional resolution of Luke Skywalker's story, but the evolution of the performance given by the actor portraying him. This is no longer the whiny farm boy in over his head from episode 4, nor the impatient and impulsive protege of episode 5. Nope, this is someone more confident, more focused, and despite some recent shocking revelations about his parentage, still more emotionally mature. I mean, you see it from the very introduction of this character, as Luke enters Jabba's palace in the opening act, the way he slowly walks with confidence wearing that black cloak, using the Jedi mind trick for the first time. I must speak with Jabba. You will take me to Jabba now. You serve your master well. And you will be rewarded. And it carries over through the rest of the film all the way to that moment when he refuses to take the bait from the Emperor and simply shuts off his lightsaber. Whatever bumps along the way we have taken over three movies, we have taken this journey with Luke Skywalker, and it's been a rewarding one. It's truly gratifying to see his look of pride at that final celebration in that final scene. For carrying the final film of this trilogy with likely his best overall performance as this character, Mark Hamill is the MVP. My rating for Return of the Jedi would be three and a half stars out of five. Happy 40th to what remains a seminal movie for a seminal franchise. Of all the Star Wars movies, I'd probably rank this fourth. Probably Empire first, then A New Hope, then Revenge of the Sith, and then just behind it, Return of the Jedi. It's still a lot of fun to watch. And of course, if you're looking to watch Return of the Jedi, it is currently streaming on Disney+. And I believe for the 40th anniversary, there's also a small limited re-release in theaters. If you've not seen this on the big screen as of yet, by all means, check it out. If nothing else, for those amazing action sequences. And that ends another review from a certain point of view. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.